All right. Welcome back to the Emergency Goalies. Uh, we actually have a bit of news on this episode. We haven't had any news for a, a, a while. I mean, a couple minor moves, but uh, this is a move that, uh, Michael, I know you were uh, looking forward to, but Ian Mitchell sounds like he is going to sign with the Blackhawks, and so he will not be re-entering the, uh, not re-entering the draft, but hitting free agency. So that's a good sign for the Blackhawks. Yeah, I mean, anytime you can get your top prospects signed, it's a, it's a good thing. I mean, he's not, he's probably not quite at the level of Boquist or Doc, but he is a guy that's probably a little more advanced than those guys were coming in. Uh, he is a couple of years older. Um, so, I mean, he has completed three years of, of college. Um, obviously his, the postseason of his third season was, uh, cut short here uh but uh you know a guy with uh experience at a major college was a big part of their team he was their captain this year you know a little bit undersized as a defenseman but he skates well uh which is you know something that we've obviously lacked on the back end a little bit so that's you know that's obviously a good fit and then you can never have too many right-handed defensemen uh, that's always an asset. So, yeah, I mean, he's probably the only significant prospect um, that the Hawks have that, you know, would probably make any kind of impact next year. They got a couple of bottom six forward types that that might, um, you know, make 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 the roster at some point uh we did see brandon hagel a little bit uh like in one game i think at the end of the season there but you know so beyond a couple of guys like that mitchell's really the 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 one guy that could move the needle a little bit although you know asking him to do that as a as a rookie was is probably you know asking too much but uh you know good good for the long run and he always said he was going to sign, but, you know, there was enough uh, time that had passed where, and then with the unusual end of the season this year, you know, just back of your mind, you always think, oh, maybe it changes his mind a little bit. But, yeah, it, it apparently hasn't been official yet. I haven't I haven't seen the actual official announcement, but all the indications are there's just kind of been the unconfirmed reports that he's is going to sign. And it's just kind of a matter of figuring out the final details, probably. But uh, yeah, um, good sign. Good, good, good sign for the Blackhawks. That's gives them more more depth in case Seabrook uh, continues to be uh, a liability uh, upon his return, or in the event of you know there is some talk that with the season potentially being cut short or ending and the revenues being down uh, that the salary cap won't, won't uh, budge or potentially could even go down. Um, in that case, it's possible uh, that teams would be allowed a compliance buyout, which is something that we saw coming out of the lockout and um, uh, in the adjustments to the salary cap previously um, the league has and the Players Association agreed to allow teams to kind of uh, get their caps back in line w- with a, a similar 
buyouts in the past. So that with, with that possibility, Seabrook would obviously be the the biggest candidate for the Hawks in that event um, to be able to get out of that. So, yeah, just getting another right-handed defenseman, never never a bad thing. So Yeah, and, you know, I won't go into too much detail on, but um, the oil prices have gone down, and yeah. a lot of the Canadian teams, uh, their owners and stuff make money from oil, so... Right. No, well, and the, the Canadian dollar itself is very, I mean, the, the entire Canadian economy is so tied to um, their oil production as well. So, yeah. So if that that's just something to keep an eye on. If at some point we have hockey again, which we will some someday. So, but yep. yeah, that's going to be a thing to keep an eye on. But anyway. Yeah. yeah and since there, other than that, there is no real hockey news, so. We're going to keep um, doing what we've been doing, breaking down old series. And Michael got a pick this week, and he went with a pretty solid pick, the Stanley Cup Finals from 2010 against the Flyers. Cause Why not? Yes, everyone knows that had a very happy ending. But I guess I'll give a little background. Obviously, the Blackhawks had made the playoffs the year before, so we talked about their last episode. They got eliminated by the Red Wings. In 2010, they were... Were they the third seed that year? I'm trying to... Um, I, uh, I honestly don't even remember. They were... Let me look. No, they were, they were first in the Central. Okay. So. so they were two seed, I think. They weren't the number one seed, I know that. but Because the Sharks yeah, were they, the number one seed, and... They did That's win it. the division. Yes, okay. So they uh, obviously they beat Nashville. Very memorable first round series. Mm-hmm. And then the second round they beat Vancouver. Second year of the three consecutive Vancouver series. And they beat the Sharks. Low scoring games, but they they dominated the Sharks with a four game sweep. Um, which led to the finals against the Flyers who at one point, rallied from a 3-0 series deficit to win the series against the Bruins. So they kind of had this, like, team of destiny feel a little bit, but they weren't very good. They were offense, very good on offense. The defense and the goalies especially, nothing to write home about. So entering the series, the Blackhawks really felt pretty good about the Blackhawks uh, taking the series. But I thought I'd ask you a little bit what your thoughts were going in. Um, the Flyers were actually a team that scared me, um, even heading into the playoffs. Um, you know, they were a a team that I thought had the potential to, to face off against the Hawks in the finals. Uh, obviously you had mentioned the goaltending. That was their big question mark. Um, but they had a forward group that was very similar to the Hawks at that point in time. They were deep down the middle. They had a lot of very good young players and a couple of solid veterans to round it out. Uh, Their defensive core um, wasn't particularly deep, but they did have Chris Pronger, who, um, you know, is kind of depth in himself in that, you know, that was the point in his career where he was able to play basically half of a game. And so it, 
didn't require your defense to have quite as much depth. And, you know, that was just kind of the, the point where, you know, any team he was on seemed to be either in the conference finals or the cup finals every year, um, just because of the impact he could have. Um, although this, you know, he was kind of ending the uh, near in the end a little bit. His, his, his play wasn't quite as good as it had been a couple of years before, but he was still, pretty darn good but i mean yeah if you would have asked some people at the time like mike richards who you know he obviously had such a precipitous fall um after he went to the kings but uh you know a lot of people had richards right up there with jonathan taves as you know kind of one of the top two-way centers in the league young centers in the league um, you know, they had James Van Riemsdyke just coming up. Jeff Carter was there. They still had Daniel Briere playing very well. Scott Hartnell was a pain in the butt in the, yes. not only in that series, but I mean, he was just all over the place. They also had a young Claude Giroux. And then, yeah, I mean, beyond Pronger, they still had Kimo Timonen and Matt Carl, um, gave them a little bit of depth on defense. And oh yeah. And then I forgot to, they also had Simon Gagne up front. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they had a very powerful top six and then, yeah, I mean, you, you get a good top six and Chris Pronger, it, it's, it's tough. And, you know, I thought, I, I thought going in that Brian Boucher would be the goalie for them. He's a guy that was always very hot and cold, but when he got on hot streaks, he was pretty tough at times, but he struggled, um, I think I think he actually entered the playoffs as their starter, but I think at some point Leighton, um, you know, the former Blackhawk and Chicago uh, native, uh, uh, displaced him, and uh, it was Leighton that that had the net uh, when the Cup Finals opened, and yeah, uh, it was definitely a team I thought had a chance just because they could match firepower with the Blackhawks, but. You know, heading down the stretch of the season, Niemi kind of solidified the Hawks in net, even though he was the guy that was uh, kind of prone to giving up bad rebounds. But he generally did a good job of stopping the first chance. And then the Blackhawks defense was pretty darn good at clearing away any of the rebounds that he kicked into the slot. And, you know, so it wasn't a, it, it, it's not like the Hawks were were dominant in net. They were definitely a team that usually had to outscore the other mm-hmm. opponent. But the big thing with Niemi was he seemed to be good the last five minutes of a game when the other team was pushing at the end of a game and were throwing everything that they could at him. He generally seemed to rise to the occasion and play his best in those last five minutes. And so and, and, and that really ended up being a big part of this series as the Blackhawks often had uh, third period leads and had, you know, would have the better of the play usually for the first two periods, um, or at least the majority of the first two periods. But then in the third period, <clears throat> as they were kind of clinging to leads, the Flyers really pushed hard just about every game and there were plenty of opportunities that they had where, you know, they could have tied some scores and, and made it an even more difficult series than it ended up being. But Niemi really came up big in those final five minutes, almost every game. So yes, yeah. yes he did. And, 
and 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 that seemed to be where you know that was kind of the difference to me was Niemi rose the occasion a little bit and then Leighton crumbled a little bit yes all right so I guess we've kind of set the scene a little bit and uh this first game was well you know wild you're talking about yeah you're talking about <laughs> offense wow yeah it was a very offensive game it was in Chicago they had the higher seed and uh, the Flyers actually scored first and took the lead but this game was just an absolute shootout I mean to keep track of it ended six to five we'll just get that out of the way now it was a and it was I'll, I'll let, you know what actually I'll let you break it down because I'm gonna pull up um this whole series so I want to keep track of all the goals yeah so, no it was uh, like you said, uh, the the Flyers did jump out ahead. Um, Ville Leno, who you know would go on to be one of the biggest free agent busts in recent history, coming out of this series. Um, but there's a reason why he was pretty highly sought after by Buffalo that offseason. Was he had a really great playoffs and was uh, continued to be impressive in the in the Cup Finals against the Hawks. And he got the first goal, but then uh, the Blackhawks, um, you know, managed to even it up. Troy Brower, who had a very good start to the um, uh, to the to the finals here in this first game, and I think he was even pretty effective in the second game. But by the end of the uh, series, he kind of ended up getting. Uh, pushed down the lineup and had his role reduced a little bit, but got off to a good start, got a goal. And then uh, Dave Boland with another huge moment, shorthanded, uh, put the Hawks in front. Uh, but it was it was pretty short-lived as the, the, it was just back and forth, really, all through the first two periods, because then Scott Hartnell, who I mentioned, would be a thorn in their side all series. He was just a freaking terror in front of the net. And he scored his first goal of the series, a power play goal. Daniel Briere would score with Leno and Hartnell assisting on it. That, that line was effective all series, basically. And put the, the Flyers back out in front, 3-2, to two, jump to the second period. Sharp scores. Then the Flyers score. Then Versteeg scores. Then Brower scores again. Then Aaron Asham ends up scoring. And... You know, it uh, tied the game back up. Uh, entering the third period, it was five to five, and it was just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Not just with the goal scoring, but with the puck possession and um, the momentum. The momentum just swung back and forth. And you know, after those the ten goals in the first two periods, you're thinking, oh, this is just you know going to continue to keep being a uh, you know a, a shootout, but both teams kind of tightened up a little bit in the third, but Tomas Kopeski, Kopeski um, ended up getting the big goal, the game winner. Uh, he had uh, been kind of a surprise. They had uh, put him into the lineup and put him into a third-line role with Boland and Versteeg and had scratched Andrew Ladd mm-hmm. uh, for the first couple of games, I want to say, of the series, which was kind of a surprise. They... The, the Flyers had a couple of tough guys on their fourth line, and I think uh, in Quenville's mind, he wanted somebody like Adam Burrish in there to mm-hmm. 
kind of help out a little bit with that. But Burrish never really um, made much of an impact on the series, and his role just wasn't, uh, you know, very big. And so, um, you know, they they would kind of switch it up uh, by the end. And get lad get lad back in there, and he he would have an effect later on as he would score three points in his three games. But the the beginning of the series, they went with Burrish. wasn't so much, uh, you know, it, it didn't end up being that big of a deal as far as Burrish goes. But uh, elevating Kopetsky in the lineup um, had a had an impact early, as he did have a pretty good series, especially the first few games, and helped them get off on the right foot. And like I said, gave him the game winner um, about midway through the third, and then. Like I said, Miami came up big as the Flyers made a big late push and the Hawks held on and won it. Yep, so I'll I'll cover uh, game two, which is a lot different than game one. You know, game one was the high-flying back and forth, and this was a very uh, close, you know, hard-fought, tight-scoring game. No one scored in the first period. We got pretty late into the second period. When uh, Marion Hosa finally was able to bang in a rebound uh, right in front of the net. And then, like, this was one of the craziest stretches. Because this game, the Blackhawks scored two goals the whole game. But Hosa scored, and literally, the next faceoff, Ben Eager, the fourth liner, got the puck, skated down the wing, and just kind of flipped a wrister at the goal, and then went in. 20 seconds after the first goal. Yeah, and this is one of those goals that, for whatever reason, I remember vividly, and I still remember him. I I, I wouldn't call it flipping it. He he rifled that puck. He he got it top shelf. That was that was a nice goal from Eager, and I yeah, I was just like, where the hell did that come from? But it it just seemed like a yeah. It yeah, just seemed like know, a nothing play, though, that he right, just yeah, yeah. down and shot just, at the goal and went in. Yeah, it was just kind of a one-on-one, and Eager used the defenseman as a screen, and he got a lot on the shot and managed to hit the top corner. And it was just like one of those, where did that come from? It was his only goal of the playoffs, I think. Or maybe yeah. it was his only goal of the, of the series. But, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, he was a fourth-line grinder guy, but he did have a little bit of... Well, I wouldn't say skill. He had he had a decent shot, but yeah, I mean it was uh, kind of one of those big surprises, especially after the game had been so tight and the Blackhawks hadn't generated much, and then boom, you know, getting that second goal right on top of the first goal and giving yourself the two goal cushion, boy, that was for whatever reason that always stuck out in my mind as uh, just a really pivotal play not just in the game but in the series you know to give the two goal lead in the second game put yourself in a good position to go up 2-0 in the series and just I I I, that was the point really that was kind of the turning point in my mind where it's like yeah the Hawks aren't gonna you know they're not gonna freeze up they're not going to you know, they don't have that weight of the longest drought in the NHL as far as Stanley Cup wins that, that they were we should, playing loose and they believed. In. We should remind everybody, too. I'll do a little bit more in this game. But, yeah, at this point, it was 49 years yep. since they last one. Now, that's not like a Cubs level, but that's a pretty long time, 50 years. It was, it was the longest in the NHL. You that's know, right. I mean, 
I remember as a kid and everybody was talking about, you know, the 94, uh, um, in 94 when the, uh, Rangers won and they had broken their long drought, but that was a shorter drought than what the Blackhawks were dealing with by this point. And, you know, the, the, the Maple Leafs are now the team that's kind of in that boat where they're, they have that crazy long drought from the original six days and. But, yeah, I mean, at this point, Chicago was, you know, <laughs> they were the team that could never get it done. And, yeah, but for whatever reason, I don't know. I, I, to me, this that was the that was the point right there where, where Benny or scored kind of that unexpected play. And I was just like, yes, I, yeah. I was I was 75% sure that the Blackhawks were going to win the series before that. But after he scored that goal, I was like. 90% this is this is this is going to happen. Yes. Well, uh the Flyers did not back off in this game. They nope. came on very hard in the third period. Simon Gagne scored, but they threw everything they had the last you know 10 minutes of this game. Outshot the Blackhawks 15 to 4 in the third period and again like you're saying Niemi stepped up big at the end of the game and kept his uh, team ahead and yep. they went up 2 nothing. So I'll let you have game three as it shifts to Philadelphia. Shifts back to Philadelphia. And, you know, this would end up being a a big thing in the series where the home team would end up taking the first five games of the series. And, well, like I said, I felt really confident after game two. Flyers came out in game three. And, you know, they had the energy of the home crowd. Um, the Flyers themselves have been, you know, were kind of working on a Stanley Cup drought of their own. And, you know, they were really in the, the, the fans were really into it. It was a raucous environment and it helped the Flyers jump out to a first period lead. Uh, ended up being kind of a little bit of a reverse of the, the first game where it was, uh, back and forth, you know, high offense in the first two periods before a, you know, kind of a more uh, tighter defensive effort in the third period. Whereas in this game started out, the teams are kind of feeling each other out. The Flyers got the lead, but then in the second period, the goals started flying back and forth. Duncan Key scored, Hartnell scored, Sopel scored. And the third, Kane scored, Leno scored. And, you know, just craziness ensued back and forth all through those periods and game ended up going to overtime this time, but didn't last too long. Uh, Claude Giroux ended up getting the game winner uh, like five minutes in. Well, there's a weird, you know, dynamic in this game that I forgot about till I watched the highlights where the Flyers appeared to win the game 40 seconds before in overtime and they reviewed it. Yeah. It said it was Puck no along goal. the goal line, yep. Yeah, and then they scored again right after. Right, yeah, it was, uh, I think it was a double doink where the puck hit the one post, ran across the goal line, and hit the other post. And, yeah, it was uh, uh, definitely a, a heart-pounding moment there for the Blackhawks as some of the guys on the ice actually did think the puck had gone in. But, um, yeah, it didn't end, up, didn't end up changing things too much. Um the the one uh, underrated uh, aspect of this game that 
made it a little tougher on the Blackhawks was uh, this was uh, Jordan Hendry's last game. Uh, he got injured in the game, missed the rest of the series. Uh, he's a guy that not many Hawks fans probably remember much. Um, you know, he was kind of a sixth, seventh defenseman for the team. But um, after uh, Kim Janssen, who had been their uh, trade deadline acquisition, uh, got injured uh, shortly after being acquired for Cam Barker. Um, you know, everybody talks about the Cam Barker trade. Is oh, that's how we got Nick Letty. Well, that was the the main aspect of that was the Hawks were trying to get Kim Janssen to solidify their third pairing. Uh, but Janssen only played like I think it was like seven or eight games in the regular season before he suffered a concussion that ended up being the end of his career. And Jordan Hendry, who had been their seventh defenseman all season, kind of had to step in and be their sixth. Um, but he ended up getting hurt in this game. And thankfully, although he wouldn't end up playing great, but the Hawks had also picked up Nick Boynton late in the series, late in the season. He was a, you know, rugged uh, veteran defenseman, not much left in the tank, uh, but he would have to step in and play a decent sized role over the final three games of the series, replacing Hendry and, um, you know, he had his moments where he would uh, fall down a lot and it didn't always look pretty. Um, he was definitely the weak link on the Blackhawks back end. Um, but it was, you know, it ended up being just enough. Um, so like I said, that, that kind of made it more challenging through the rest of the series. Um, thankfully in game four, even though this was the, the Hawks least competitive game, um, but, uh, you know, they, at least, uh, Quenville got his mind right a little bit and put Andrew Ladd back in the lineup. Um, it, the, didn't help much, uh, in the early going as the, the Flyers jumped out to a three, one lead in the first period, um, forced the Hawks into, into, uh, grinding the rest of the game. And the Hawks did did fight back late. Um, Dave Boland and Brian Campbell scored uh, to make it four to three uh, with, you know, a few minutes left and they pulled the goalie, but Jeff Carter was able to um, score, I think. And, and I think it was Carter's only goal of the series. I, I remember thinking he did not have much of an impact um, that he was a guy that I was a little concerned about heading in, but, he was kind of the one guy that seemed like the Hawks were able to neutralize pretty good. But at least in this game, he, he ended up getting that empty netter to, to seal it. And it was a 5-3 to three Philadelphia win, evened up the series, uh, sent, the, sent the series back to Chicago. And yeah. then finally, yeah. I'll, I'll let you take over here. But yes. yeah, this was finally where the Hawks kind of woke up a little bit. And we're back to another high-scoring game. Oh, uh, game one of the series, but yeah, I, I, I really think that push at the end of game four, I really think it carried over into this game at the end of the game. Even though they didn't win that game, they made the Flyers sweat at the end. It wasn't an easy win. So uh, the game, game five, started off with Brent Seabrook. He had the big, uh, big postseason goals. He scored in the power play to 
give the Blackhawks the lead. And another clutch playoff performer, Dave Boland, followed uh, about three minutes later with a goal of his own. And then Chris Versteeg. So the Blackhawks built up a 3 nothing lead by the end of the first period. And you, you felt pretty good about it. They dominated the period, but of course the Flyers weren't going to go down that easy. Uh, Scott Hartnell, who again, just like no matter whether he's on Nashville or Philly, whenever he played the Blackhawks, just an absolute pain. Yep. But uh, he scored to cut it to 3-1. But then Patrick Kane, who actually had been very quiet in this series, uh, scored a goal to make it 4-1, to one, and you're thinking, this is feeling pretty good. But, again, future Blackhawk Stanley Cup winner Kimo Timonen scored to make it 4-2. to two. But every time in this game, the Flyers showed a little bit of life. They let in another, you know, offense. They had another defensive meltdown and gave up another goal because Dustin Bufflin scored right after, like, a few minutes. Well, not a few minutes, late in the period. Yeah. Well, that, was, this is this was another turning point because this is when Bufflin woke up. He had been pretty much yes. a non-factor for the first few games. Um, you know, he had had he would come off the big Vancouver series, played well against San Jose. He was skating on the top line with Kane and Taves at the beginning of the series, but he just he wasn't getting much done. They they bumped him down the lineup. Uh, he was still playing on the power play with the first unit, but they kind of moved him down the lineup. But after he got this power play goal, he really picked things up for the rest of the series. And that was, that was a big, uh, a big uh, factor for them as, you know, he was a guy who was, he was the one guy who um, Pronger couldn't push around. Yes. And you know, this is one of those, the Blackhawks played very good in the first period of this game. And then they kind of laid back the rest, but every time, they had an, an opportunity, like an opening came up. Yep. They took advantage and scored. Yeah, so they were yeah. very this good. Was, this was Leighton's worst game. He was really rough in this one, and he ended yes. up getting pulled for Boucher. Yes. But, yeah, um, eventually the score was 7-4. to four. The Black Ice just kept scoring, and they were up 3-2. to two. But then you were thinking to yourself, you felt good about the Black Ice winning this series. But I don't know if I felt good about them winning game six. Yeah, I mean, the home teams had been winning. Yeah, I definitely felt like game six was going to be tough. Uh, but, yeah, it, it definitely concerned me that it would have to go to seven. Well, as it turned out, of course, it didn't. But we'll get into that. Uh, game six was in Philadelphia on, curious, let me get the date. June 9th. June 9th. Okay, that's what I thought. I almost said June 10th, but yeah. All right, so the Blackhawks took the early lead in this one. Uh, Dustin Bufflin late in the first period. Uh, fought to the net and, you know, typical Dustin Bufflin goal in front of the net on the power play. And he got it in there, but the Flyers would not go down quietly in this game. Uh, a couple minutes later, very late in the period, Scott Hartnell again was able to score a goal to tie the score at one. And then uh, Danny Briere, I believe, was this a breakaway? 
That sounds right. I think that- so. I think that, uh, well, I don't remember if it was a breakaway. I remember. Oh, no, wait, for- this is the one where, yeah, this is the one where Keith got tripped up at the blue line. That's he right. clipped skates with somebody. And he was streaking towards the net, yes. Yeah, yep, yep. Yeah, so, yeah. so it was like a mini breakaway. But Danny Breer, who was white hot in the series. Yeah. Well, that whole line, that that Hartnell, Briere, Lano line, the Hawks really had no answer for. Yeah. So he gave the uh, Flyers the lead in the second period, but uh, the Blackhawks did not waste much time. Less than two minutes later, uh, Patrick Sharp was able to score the tying goal. And then, a little bit later in the period, Nicholas Yalmerson ripped a shot from the point that Andrew Ladd, who, as we mentioned, scratched early in the series, was able to get his stick on and tip past um, Michael Layton and give the Blackhawks a 3-2 to two lead. So they went into the second intermission up 3-2. to two. And you knew they were going to try to ride out the rest of the game, you know, mm-hmm. hold on that one-goal lead. Because, I mean, you know, the, seeing that Stanley Cup get polished up, you get a little tense. Yeah, they were afraid to make mistakes, and they tried to sit on the lead. And you know, uh, Niemi played very well, but the pressure was just unrelenting. And finally, with about four minutes left in the game, Scott Hartnell was able to, you know, fight a shot, and it was very kind of a scrambly goal, and just kind of trickled in. Yeah, it kind of hit off his skating in, but it was able to go in, and you thought. Man, these Flyers, this Flyers team in Philadelphia, they just, yeah. they never say die. And they they had some really good chances the last, like, two minutes mm-hmm. of the game. I mean. Yeah, and Yemi had to make a couple of huge saves. Yeah, they were very close to winning. Yep. But, of course, they were able to, Black Eyes were able to survive that and go to overtime. And some of you people might be familiar <laughs> with what happened next. Uh, Patrick Kane yeah. firing a shot from the boards. Michael Layton looking behind him. And confused announcers, confused people in the stadium. <laughs> and then the Blackhawks won the Stanley Cup. Yeah. I'm curious, what was your reaction? Did you did you know that it had gone in? Did you did you trust Kane's reaction or were you uh, hesitant? I, I did trust it because yeah. not so much him, but I I could for whatever reason I was looking right at Leighton mm-hmm. and I could see him look behind yep. that goalie like that where you look over his shoulder like this isn't good and I was thinking and I saw Kane celebrating but it was Leighton looking behind him I was like I think that's in the goal yeah they they were the only two people on the ice who knew where the puck was and both of them had the reaction you would expect in that situation. And so I was, I was like really confident for like, I was cheering as Kane was going down the ice. I was, uh, as he was celebrating, I was celebrating. And then like, after all the Hawks got on the ice and the, the announcers were still all confused. I was like, well, 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 maybe I'm wrong here. Maybe I'm wrong. So I, I ended up having like the, the moment of hesitation, but it was like, 15 seconds after um, when most people seem to have it. Uh, But then uh, by that point they were starting to get the replay up and I was like, Oh yes. And I got to, I got to, 
to to cheer again for the second time and oh man i was yeah. just I, oh, it was so awesome i just i i can't even describe how happy i was to have that uh happen and i was watching it with my family and yeah it was just yeah. just awesome no for sure it was just you know it's one of those things where you always thought like what would it be like to see your team come out there and pick up the trophy and stuff but that's almost like that's the part that was almost the craziest part seeing like who are they going to hand it to of course it was going to be hosted was going to get it yeah. first after tapes but yeah just wild to hear the announcer say your team won the stanley yeah. cup especially after you know we were back in the old days when they were good in the 90s but could never get over the hump so it's just crazy for yeah this was uh uh I I was very confident with this team uh, throughout the entire season. I had a, a just a good feeling throughout the entire year that they were going to do it. Um, although about midway through the year when uh, Cristobal Huey started to struggle a little bit more, I was like, oh, is goaltender going to be, you know, I mean, I knew it was the weak link anyway. But I was like, is this going to be a crippling weak link? Um, but, you know, thankfully, Niemi, um, you know, he ended up playing like 17 games straight or something like that near the end of the year until I think UA played the final game mm-hmm. after they had clinched the division. But, you know, Niemi really solidified thing and things. And I just I got more and more confident every game that he played that, you know, he was going to be just good enough that the Hawks were you know, such a dominant puck possession team that they didn't need their goaltender to be great. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I was, I was very confident throughout and, but, you know, just to have that weight lifted, um, you know, to have that validation was freaking mind boggling. And uh, yeah, I mean, I would end up feeling very similarly about the Cubs a few yeah. years later, obviously, um, where again I kind of had the uh, the same confidence throughout the entire season uh, that they were going to do it. But you know, unlike uh, with the Cubs, where there was uh, kind of the uh, doubts creeping in there uh, after they fell behind in the series, and then um, with the way the bullpen shake shook out, and then the, you know that late home run. The game was, you know, so much closer, even though this game also went into overtime, but, you know, it was only game six and not game seven. And so I, I had a, a little bit more of a um, moment. It, it, there was more tense. There was more tension in, in, in me when the Cubs were winning as opposed to the Blackhawks. Mm-hmm. But uh, this game, it, this series meant just as much to me um that they were able to win it and you know it was really you know i mean i know you're not um you know quite a chicago guy and rooting for all the teams um but uh you know for for somebody of my age um so yeah i mean just for me this was you know other than the bowls where it was it almost got to be old hat by the time that they won 
this was really the first championship in Chicago sports that I could clearly remember. I mean, I have vague 85 bears um, memories, but I was really young at that time and didn't, you know, obviously appreciate it. Um, So this was kind of the first one where it was like, oh my God, you know, my team did it and I got to enjoy it as an, you know, a a fully formed human being as an adult. And uh, yeah, just the, the cup drought and, you know, healing all of the old wounds from the previous uh, shortcomings in the playoffs and that it was just, it was awesome. Yes. I, I think that's good spot to leave it at. And we'll have an edit in this podcast. You people <laughs> would have heard it because we got, I got a phone call in the middle of our thing. Maybe it was a, the Blackhawks calling to, to celebrate with us. But anyway, uh, that was fun going back and talking about the championship. And uh, Michael, I'll kick it to you for uh, on Twitter. Where can we find you? MJ underscore Ernst. Okay, and I am STH85. And yeah, if you people have any requests out there for games you want us to games or series you want us to talk about, uh, let us know. So, until our next episode, I hope everybody's out there staying safe and you know. Someday there'll be hockey again. <laughs>